stories, scripts, and conversations with creators. This is the Brave Maker Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Rare Birds Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Fenton. I'm an author, I'm a screenwriter, and basically what I do is I bring things to life. And that's what creative people do. We have an idea, and we bring it to life. Now today, we are doing something special and different on the Rare Birds podcast, though as I say that, I recognize that this is the second ever episode, so like, there's not much of an established formula yet to these episodes, but today... I'm going to assume most of you are listening to this podcast for the very first time because our guest, Tony Gapistone, has so graciously decided to post this episode in his feed on the Brave Maker podcast. So listeners of the Rare Birds podcast, go over and check out the Brave Maker podcast that Tony runs. And those of you who are listening to the Rare Birds podcast on the Brave Maker stream, Come on over and subscribe. You can pick up the Rare Birds podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you get your podcasts. It's also on YouTube. It's just the audio played over a screen that has my guest's face on it. You can find me on social media at Peter Fent. So just start typing my name, but then stop. Or you can head over to my website at www.bypeterfenton.com. So... About today's episode, so Tony Gapistone, I think, is a really interesting case of how do we, when we have a brand to manage, when we have funds to raise, when we have a reputation to live up to, how do we continue to be ourselves? And how do we not lose ourselves in the roles that we play as creatives? So I'm very excited to share this conversation with you. Tony has just finished production on his very first ever feature film, Last Chance Charlene, and he is still raising funds to finish the post-production. So after our conversation today, after you listen to it, if you want to help Tony achieve his dream of finishing his first ever feature film, you can head to the link in the show notes and um, you can learn all about Last Chance Charlene and Brave Maker. So Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. I had, I always have a blast talking with Tony. He's, he's a good egg. I think you'll like him too. It's about conquering your fears. I think being brave means you're pushing through your fears. And I'm afraid to do a freaking ton of things. Yeah. One of them being start a company and ask for money and yeah. depend on generosity. All of those things in my mind are brave. So when someone conquers those fears... Just that act of conquering fears can impact people. Then let alone whatever that story happens to be about, it levels it up even more. Hello, friends, and welcome to today's episode of the Rare Birds Podcast, which is the podcast where we have conversations with thoughtful go-getters of many different creative fields, talking about their passions, their projects, and what fuels them through it all. I'm your host, Peter Fenton, and at the time of recording this episode, there are no housekeeping items, so let's get right into it. Our guest today, he's a filmmaker, he's a pastor. I met him through a screenwriting seminar he led over Zoom at the start of the pandemic. It's Tony Gapistone. Let me tell you some more about Tony. So Tony has worked on stage and in front of the camera acting in print and film for over 25 years. 
He's originally from Chicago, where he grew his love for acting through theater and now lives in Northern, uh, Northern California, where he became a SAG-AFTRA actor and filmmaker. Tony loves creative collaboration on the other side of the camera, writing, producing, and directing. Tony loves telling stories. That's why he started his nonprofit film organization, Brave Maker. He wants to support, create, and equip filmmakers, actors, and brave storytellers of all kinds. Kind of like this podcast, actually. Tony hosts monthly film screenings, panel discussions, and an annual film festival in Redwood City, California, as well as hosting a live YouTube show every Friday. That sounds like a very busy schedule. So thank you so much, Tony, for making the time to join us on the podcast today. How are you doing? Welcome. Peter, I'm exhausted already and I just woke up. So thanks for reminding me of how much work I have to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, you were telling me right before we started recording that today's actually a lighter day for you, but this is your first meeting of the week. It's Monday, we're recording this. Yeah. I like your little intro. I want a shirt that says Thoughtful Go-Getter. I kind of like that branding. That's a, that's a good uh, identity tag right there. I hope I can live up to that today, but I'm stoked to be here. This is really cool. I love hearing uh, about rare birds and getting to be a part of the first few podcast recordings. This is great. Yeah, this is, uh, this is going to be the second ever episode. Nice. When we, when we go to record it, I think it'll be releasing September 7th. So Okay, cool. Sounds good. Very exciting. So mark your calendars. Well, if you're listening to this right now, it's already out. So there you go. <laughs> Keep listening, people. Like, subscribe, and share. Exactly. You get this. You're a, you're a <laughs> professional content creator. But yeah, I do think of you as a very thoughtful go-getter. Um, so let's, let's dive right in. So I like to start my interviews with one two-part question that I ask of all of my guests. So tell me, what's the signature project that you've brought to life and how did you get started making that happen? Great question. I Okay, so I have been doing this filmmaking thing for quite some time. Started as an actor, as you were saying earlier, mm -hmm. through my bio. I, I, I've like, you know, like so many artists, I have tried to navigate that struggling piece of the identity we often take on. And it is a hard road to make something, to birth something. And for the longest time, I have been trying to make a feature film. I've made a bunch of short films, all that I'm really proud of, but that I often will say are my film school. I did not go to film school. I went to theology school, which is a weird, fun intersection between these two things that I get to do. But I most recently did my first feature film, produced it, I wrote it, directed it. It's in the can. It's in post-production, basically, which means it's being edited right now. And I did that through my nonprofit, Brave Maker. And so these two things you know, are basically my life right now. I love this work that I get to do. And I love that you know my film dream in some way finally came true. I'm kind of... It's sort of half true because we haven't seen it finished and or screened and shared with the world yet. But Last Chance Charlene is my first feature film. And it's about a screenwriter an aspiring screenwriter who was an actor, is an actor kind of like myself and is trying to make a break in her career and dealing with all the Hollywood craziness and dysfunction, as well as having to mourn the loss of her brother to suicide and mm. keep her family and her marriage together and find herself once again. So it's a really meaningful, deep, personal project for me that I'm really stoked has finally been you know done and produced and now the next step is getting it out there hopefully in 2022 we'll have it finished at some point that's awesome and that is so such a meaty response to <laughs> what what are you most proud of and how do no get short answers here yeah Peter. no short answers good um only short people like me 
<laughs> so did you, so you, you say that you have brought this feature film to life. Did you both write and direct it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the, the short answer for that is I have been working on a bunch of other feature films. One of them is more truer to life and personal story. It's about my grandmother's suicide. It's called mm-hmm. The Thorns We Live With. And for film people uh, or anybody, when you make a film, you have to then budget it and get the money. And it was budgeted at $3 million. And I had never made a feature film before. So I was having a really hard time fundraising. You know, people go, mm-hmm. oh, you haven't made a feature film? You're trying to raise a $3 million budget? Eh, pass. Yeah. So then I, I had to pivot, which we all hate that word after the pandemic. I pivoted during the pandemic in December of 2020. I just kind of got fed up and I said, I'm just going to write a feature film that's smaller, but kind of theme adjacent to the thorns we live with. And I made it even more personal with how I felt as an actor trying to be a filmmaker. And I wrote it for a woman to star in. So I created Last Chance Charlene, wrote it literally in six weeks. And then we were in production six months later. Wow. Yeah, because I, I remember when we were when we were going through the screenwriting seminar mm-hmm. a year and a half ago, it was all the thorns we live with. And then Correct. All, of a sudden, yeah. all of a sudden I see your social media starting to blow up with Last Chance Charlene. And I was like, wait, when did that happen? I know. It, it's kind of ridiculous. It just happened. I kind of had to make it happen. So $3 million for, la- for the thorns we live with. We did Last Chance Charlene. Uh, uh, with 39,000. Wow. (laughs) I know. And we're still raising obviously, because we have, you know, thank you God for all my crew who deferred payment. And I've been making partial payments to them in good faith while we're still raising the money for sound and coloring and music and posts and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, it's, it is, it is very true that even if you have a very good screenplay and a very good concept, if the money is not there, it yeah. can't get made. And yeah. very few of us are just independently wealthy mm-hmm. filmmakers. Like um, at the beginning of 2021, I wrote this pretty great short film screenplay, but we are, it's a short, nobody really mm-hmm. wants to invest in shorts uh-huh. because there's no way of monetizing yeah. shorts. Right. So it just hasn't gotten off the ground yet. How do you go about fundraising for your projects. So, I mean, $39,000 still is a fair amount of money. Yeah. I mean, you are, you're a father. You're, you're talking about starting to think about college tuition now for your... <laughs> Don't remind me, Pete. Come on. Okay. The, we're, we're only talking about happy <laughs> thoughts on this podcast. Oh, gosh. Yeah. For listeners, my first daughter just started high school and now all I can do is obsess over college. But yeah, so, so how do you raise money? I mean, it's... It's a sh- how can we swear? No, I won't. It's a crap show. It's hard. It's really, <laughs> really hard to raise money. Uh, I'll give you a link because I did write a blog for filmmakers specific, but I think it could be for anybody who's trying to crowdsource. You know, I'll just summarize like it really is about personal relationships and passion. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be intentional. You've got to ask anybody and everybody. You've got to be willing to get a million no's to get one yes. It's humbling. Uh, I spend so much of my life as a pastor, uh, mm-hmm. working for churches. And then I started this nonprofit and I've been an artist and an actor and a filmmaker for most of my life. I've had to totally depend on people giving generously to my work. I, you know, transparently, I have really wrestled with my identity in this space because 
my value sometimes is so connected to what people give and what people say. And if people read my pitch deck or, you know, take my phone call and say, Oh yeah, that sounds like a good film. I'll give you money. It's really been few and far between. And I've raised, I've raised money for so many films that, you know, then, then people get exhausted. They, they, they right. get giving fatigue, right? They're kind of tired of you asking. So you have to continue finding new resources and new ways. And so I'm still raising funds for last chance Charlene, but I, I need to give one hopeful encouragement to anybody raising funds out there is that you've got to get your message out there multiple ways. People often think I posted it on Instagram or I did a TikTok or I tweeted my crowdsource link. Why didn't people get it? It takes so, you know, marketing 101, I think is it takes seven different ways for people to hear about your projects and, mm. and to really get the message. So you can't just tweet it. You can't just Facebook it. You have to email it. You have to text it. You have to personally talk to people. I'm not a phone caller. You know, I don't like talking on the phone. I like texting, but I have to call people. You have to meet people, you know, in the pandemic, somehow you have to find a way to have a personal connection, look someone in the eyes and ask them for money. Ask for money. You have to ask mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, aunt, uncle, cousin, neighbor. You just have to ask. And so one day I posted this kind of passioned plea on Instagram that, hey, I have looked, I have tried to change my attitude on money. I have tried to turn the tide to look at it as I am offering people a gift as opposed to I am taking and begging. I'm saying, who wants to take part in this great opportunity? I'm going to give you an opportunity to give or to partner with mm -hmm. me by you writing checks or selling me money. And that changes it for me as opposed to like, I'm this, you know, kind of beggar on everybody's door. It's so I did this whole Instagram post and one of my friends from college reached out and I want to say a huge thank you to Kara Brown because she saw that and that was the first time she had seen it even though I felt as if I had been sharing this my whole life I've been living bleeding yeah. and sweating this fundraising journey and so one Instagram post among many other communication avenues got my friend Kara's attention and she came in and helped in the last minute to get us through production and it was a saving grace for me so all that to say I'll share the link with you Peter you can put yeah. it in your show notes but it takes a lot of intention a lot of reaching out a lot of no's and you cannot give up I went on the streets one day for my very first film and I asked people strangers at the train station to give and I gave them a flyer with my link and I, mm -hmm. I, I live streamed it. You have to do whatever you can to get your projects funded. Yeah. Something that I've been finding in just my own creative career and in just having these conversations with other creatives, you can't give up when like, cause this is going to be tough and yeah. you, you have to go at it with every ounce of your being like, I can't imagine you've had a day off in uh, ever. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> sad. It, it, yeah. You've got, to, I hate it. I, I do feel I struggle with workaholic tendencies hmm. and I have to really be intentional. You know, I'm married almost 17 years. I have three kids and they definitely feel the brunt of it. They definitely feel the brunt of the entrepreneurial lifestyle. It is deeply impacting on one's mental health. I definitely have to, and I, yeah, I, I would say therapy is super important and I'm not actively engaging particularly right now because I don't have the resources to do so, but I feel 
a little off, you know, sometimes I feel very blurry walking through this, you know, and I work multiple jobs. As you said earlier, I'm also a pastor part-time. So I am committed to a local church in Marin County called the quest in California. And I've got, you know, I'm juggling a lot of plates, caring for people's um, challenging, you know, life phases that they're going through as a pastor. Mm -hmm. And then I'm dealing with my own kids starting school and anxiety around pandemic and COVID and all these things. And yeah, it, it, there's not a lot of time off. It, there isn't, you know, so I have to find a way to squeeze it the day with maybe an hour or two. I'm happy with, you know, my wife will often say, can we just have one Saturday where you don't take a zoom call? You know, I feel like the, the, the tropey father in every nineties movie where sure. you know he's on the phone and his kids are at the soccer game and they're looking like, dad, get off the phone. But that's <laughs> a real challenge to, for me to put food on the table and pay our rent and survive in the most expensive place in the world, Bay area, California you got to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of, speaking of the, the tropey, the tropey dad type. Uh-huh. So you, you talk about on your website in your acting career, you, you've said you have played a hipster, a young dad, a preppy guy, husband, barista, <laughs> perp, clown, businessman, bike messenger, <laughs> mafia, hitman, dance floor, maniac, Romeo, MC surfer, dude, you name it. You've oh played it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. How do you disappear into these roles? And it sounds like you do quite a bit of this in your own life, juggling all your different roles as pastor, filmmaker, dad, etc. Is there any parallel that you've found between taking on roles in scripts and films and your versatility in life? Like, have you drawn much of a parallel between those two before? Yes. Just the parallel that I am a mess as a person. Obviously, <laughs> if I'm juggling all of these roles, there's no way a person could be healthy doing all this stuff. Happy, I, I, I don't know, dude. I don't know. I, I oftentimes have a insecurity as a pastor mm-hmm. when it comes to you know. I love speaking and the acting part of me and the storytelling part of me as a pastor who speaks on a regular basis. I feel pretty confident that I can. Uh, take scripture, uh, help make it relevant, intertwine it into what's happening in pop culture in real time. And there'll, there'll be times when that, that self-critic will, you know, I'll finish a message, I'll finish a Sunday and I'll be driving home and I'll be thinking, oh, you, you just put that together. You're so good at playing the part. You know, these little negative voices that come into my head. Again, that's why I think therapy, every person should be meeting with a therapist. It's hard. It's hard to be real. And you continually, I continually ask myself, am I being fully real? Am I being totally objective about how I'm walking through life with all these things? And I think the best thing I can do is just share what I'm just sharing right now. Like at times, I don't know if I am. I'm surviving, you know, I'm surviving. And I hope it's, I'm surviving versus thriving. I hope I'm thriving maybe 51% more than I'm, you know, surviving, but Mm -hmm. I don't know, Peter, it's a, it's a tough gig. Yeah, it it definitely, definitely sounds like it. And it's, it's something that like, I, I so appreciate that you're, you're, you are being real with me and you, you're not doing the, like the nice Instagram curated package you know, yeah. it's like, I'm, I'm finding that as I have a curated brand yeah. and like when you have an audience, a captive audience who wants to know what they're getting when they hear something from you, you do have an image to keep up, but it's, it is nice to know that you're 
still very much a human and you are completely honest about that when we're speaking in real time, you know? I think the pastoral side of me, as well as in my personal own human spiritual journey to link it back to that is, uh, you know, the term deconstruction has been so buzzy in the past 10 years. And I think one of my prides and joys has been recognizing what I wanted to do and to be by what I didn't see in my past. I often felt Christians, people of faith, uh, especially pastors always had all the answers and always seemed perfectly put together. And I am a dude who happens to be in the majority culture, you know, I'm white, I'm straight, I'm, um, middle class E, you know what I mean? All these things that are supposed to be easy for me. And I do recognize that I have these opportunities that just because of who I am, when I walk into a room, I get attention and I have a place of power Mm -hmm. and I'm humbled by that. And I'm frustrated. And I'm, I wrestle with that in light of conversations that have been surfaced around racial justice and Mm -hmm. all the inequities in the world. But as a pastor, I've often felt like, wow, I need to make sure I am not creating any more damage in the world yeah. by being as honest as I can and saying, this is just how I see it. This, I know I'm not perfect and please don't ever put me at a pedestal. Uh, you know, I, I get burnt out. I'm frustrated. I love the F word probably more than most pastors do. You know, all these things that I try to be transparent about, like I'm just a mess like you. So here I am, take it for what it's worth and you can disagree and you cannot like me. And that's a whole other conversation is how do you deal as an artist, you know, a little as a pastor with the fact that people aren't always going to like what you put out in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. That's okay. Let's dive into that conversation a little bit. Mm-hmm. So how do you deal with when someone doesn't like what you've put out into the world? Yeah. I don't mind strangers who hate me or who put negative comments. I don't mind that. Hmm. I, it's definitely personal when you know, right now I'm dealing with a situation where someone is just really upset about some of the things that uh, they felt, you know, taken advantage of in regards to volunteering, you know, and the commitment that we make to create as artists. Again, it comes down to fundraising, right? I can only pay so many people. And so I've had to work, walk through a person who I thought, hey, we're all, you know, you hear this phrase, create with friends, find your tribe, find your mm-hmm. crew. And that's really what Brave Maker is all about but there are some people who just are trying to make a buck and they're trying to survive too. And so I have to kind of deal with the fact, oh, this person's really upset. Like I thought I was getting a friend, but really this is a business too. Mm -hmm. So you have to navigate that. So that's hard and it's painful. And I have to tell people, I'm sorry, I let you down. Uh, I I definitely am an empath. So I feel all Mm -hmm. the feelings all the time. So that's one thing is just learning to feel the feelings and tell myself it's okay. You're not always going to feel great and you let people down and you have to ask for forgiveness. And the best you can do is ask for forgiveness. And if they don't accept it, that's on them. Like I can't make people forgive me and I can't make people like me. So why am I spending so much time doing that when I've got especially four people in my own home who do like me most of the time and want me to spend time developing that love relationship, right? And then the other side of the challenge is people who maybe start to disagree with you uh, on your theology and start calling you out. I've had, you know, over the past three years since I started Brave Maker, I've been doing, you know, hopefully good inclusive work that is affirming of people of all ethnicities and genders and orientations. And, you know, I'll get people of faith who will be in my comments and DMs who just 
former church members that I used to do life with will call me really horrible things. I'm a false teacher. I'm a heretic. I'm leading people to astray because I advocate for undocumented people or because I affirm and work with a gay person who also comes, who loves Jesus and professes faith. all these yeah. different things. It's just wild, man. That can wear a person down too. So I think the only way I know how to deal with it is recognize people. And this is where I get, I'll shout out my friend, Matt, Matt Nightingale and co-pastor. He mutual friend. I'm a friend. Big fan. Who, big we're fan friends of because Nightingale. of Matt. Yeah, yeah. We're friends because of Matt. You know, he's always, he's a gay person who is helping walk through toxic theology and responses to the LGBTQ community. And if he, with all of the crap that's thrown at him, if he can walk through with patience and grace, then surely I can do that with the maybe minimal percent that I'm getting that he gets. So I have learned to see that people think they're doing the right thing, even though it's totally destructive. They think they're doing the right thing, which that's mind boggling to me. People mm -hmm. who think they're doing God's will, but are so destructive and harmful with their words and actions. So I'm able to put them in a category that I can walk forward without letting them impact me so much. And then mm -hmm. two, I just have to do a lot of ignoring. <laughs> yeah, I just ignore people and I don't do a lot. I'm on social media a lot, but I try to, I, ugh, sounds bad, but I mute a lot of people that are just harmful and critical and I just don't give them time. I don't give them the, the space that they want to impact me. I just do my thing. I share my stuff in the world, I interact with the people to the best of my ability that I think I might be able to impact. And those I know I can't, I just move forward and move on. Sure. Yeah. Some people, no matter, like you can't, you can't change anybody. Yeah. Like I think yeah. one of the one of the hardest things about going through life is you do not have the power to make someone give a damn about yeah. you or yeah. about whatever it is that you are trying to get them to care about. Like I mean I'm, yeah. I'm saying that with like the vaccine for example. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was in Italy like years ago working with a church and there's a really cool pastor there, Pastor Antonio Fonte. And we, I was a zealous 20 year old and we were on this mission trip and I was doing in the piazzas, we were doing these mimes too. Oh, of course. <laughs> what was the, yeah, right. Remember Miming the mime? ministry? Oh my gosh. What was that? There was that band. It wasn't Nickelback, but it was that band that was like not Creed. Maybe it was some band that always had these songs that the church would always take and create they were called human oh, videos. Human videos. Uh, was that Lifehouse? Lifehouse! Cause you're all I want. You're all I need. You're everything. Everything. Cause you're all I want. Oh you're my gosh. I, I did so many human videos to that freaking song in Italy, dude. <laughs> And this pastor, one time we were having pizza and gelato after one of these like outreach events. And I say outreach with air quotes, but I was super like, we are saving people's souls, you know? And he looked at me and said, Tony, we are not saving anybody. You can't save people. You're sharing the story and the, 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 the love of God with people. And you can only hope that they respond when and how they respond with God in God's time. I was kind of a little put off, like, no, we're doing stuff here. But that haunts me in a good way that we can't save people. You're right. We can't change people. We can only do what we can do and hope our work and our stories and our life 
makes a small ripple into people's present and futures. That's all we can do. Yeah. That really is all we can do. And, and that combined with what we, what you were saying earlier about how people rarely believe that they are the villain. (laughs) Yeah. You know, everybody operates under the mindset of I'm the hero. That's right. Because we have a protagonist centered view of our life experience. Yeah. One of the best screenwriting tools I think when you are writing a film is to get into the head of your proposed antagonist and see it through their eyes because they think they are the hero and everything that they are doing to push against the hero in the story is because they feel like this is the just way to live. And that's a great way to view your antagonist and your critics in the world. They are the hero of their story as well. Which is why like Black Panther is such a great film. Yeah. Because the the antagonist is written yeah, as longer. a hero. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. I think one of one of the easiest ways to spot a more amateurish script, and I, I know this because I've just recently gone through some of my older scripts that I've written, is just how somebody is self-awarely evil. That just doesn't happen in real life. If you're going for a realistic story, yeah, people rarely do that. And there's, there's something for us to learn too, is how can we be aware of our own tendencies, right? Because I know I can easily, I mean, I can, ooh, if you cross me, I'll tell you what, in my own doings, when I'm not trying to be the good Christian person, dude, I can mess you up. I can tear you down. Yeah. And so if I'm fully aware of that capacity to hurt when I'm hurt, then I need to give people grace and compassion in yeah. their own journeys when I'm being hurt by them as well. Are you an Enneagram type eight, Tony? No, but I'm a, a three, four that I think there's when you're unresourceful, you go to the negative traits of the eight, something like that. Maybe. No. <laughs> but I, I, I know it well, and I could definitely, I, I, I'll be transparent. I envy the eights because they say it like it is. And sometimes they cause a lot of damage, but they're speaking their truth and I can admire that. Yeah. It's, it's kind of scary. Before we go too far into an Enneagram rabbit hole, let's take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors. This episode of the Rare Birds podcast is brought to you by the novel First Circle by Jim Fenton. Retirement from her university faculty position should have brought relaxation. Instead, Bernice Langdon deals with an aggressive cancer while harboring a secret that could save her life. That secret may also save others who gather to help the ailing professor embrace her treatment and the resulting journey of physical, emotional, and spiritual growth. First Circle follows six individuals who enter Bernice's life with collective purpose soaring well beyond the reason each first visits her home. Each member of the First Circle shoulders individual challenges. Collectively, they navigate the bends in life's road as they unknowingly come together to help Bernice through her illness. Little do they know they have a collective goal beyond Bernice. Someone needs their help even more. From the youthful, fast-paced environment of Ridgewell Associates to the stained-glass grandeur of the Bedrock Hills Church Sanctuary, First Circle spins from city to suburbs. From the elegant Dane and Caldwell Law Offices to the University Medical Center corridors, a hand from afar provides guidance to the group. Their individual faith journeys are tested repeatedly as they seek the purpose behind the unsolicited messages and work to solve the puzzle. Who is the sender, and to what end are they called? 
You can compare this book to the television series God Friended Me, or The Shack by William P. Young, or The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown. You can pick up your copy of First Circle, the debut novel by author Jim Fenton, at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or anywhere online that books are sold. And now, let's get back into today's episode. All right, so let's let's dive right back in. So you were starting to tell you were starting to tell us about Brave Maker. Well, you've you've told us a bit about Brave Maker, but I want to get further into where that all started. So Brave Maker is it's a film festival, a media production company. <laughs> what what exactly is it? It has a podcast of its own. You should go listen to it. I'll be on it someday. Which I think we should just put this one on the Brave Maker podcast as a crossover and people can go listen to Rare Birds by Pete Fenton. That's what we should do. Yes. So Brave Maker is all of that. Yes. Check the check the, the box that says all of the above. All of the I above. Think, I think we definitely bite off more than we can chew. But I started Brave Maker in 2018, Pete, because I was a part of a church for about 20 years mm-hmm. and I grew a lot. I felt as if I was thriving. My wife and I met there. We started raising our family together. I lived in the parsonage on this church's Ah. campus, right? But 20 years is a lot of time to work with one organization. And I had probably been feeling about 15 years in that I was sort of getting a wrestling with what my future was going to look like. Part of my backstory is, you know, that human video doing those Christian mimes was yeah. I was told early on in my life that to really honor God with my creativity, I had to use it within the church. And to me, that was, you know, on a Sunday or Wednesday's youth group, it really all took place in a church building, you know, building mm-hmm. with a cross on it or in a piazza in Italy, whatever that looked like. Yeah. Um, I had to reconcile. I felt manipulated. I felt a little lied to again by good intentioned people. Because if you go to Hollywood, if you become an actor, if you go in the entertainment industry, in their minds, you're linking arms with Satan. (laughs) You know, you're going to be deluded and led astray. And then you will backslide and all these things that really filled me with fear. I wanted to go to LA and be an actor, but I couldn't do that and defy Mm -hmm. God because God had called me to be a pastor. And there were great things that I got from that. So around 2015, you know, I had to process, maybe there was more and maybe it was God even calling me out to do more things, quote unquote, in the world, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so the, the couple that with, you know, in my current church, our leadership was being challenged with how we hire and fire people. And there were some people in positions that maybe shouldn't have been. And we had to process that. I was feeling negatively impacted but I was doing a lot of great creative work. I loved all the video production. I was writing all the sketches, the doing the Christmases and the Easter's. And then the third reason, so you know, the first reason was I was feeling maybe my gifts weren't being used. Two, there was leadership challenges in the church and how the vision was being um, take, you know, uh, uh, followed through with. But three, our church was not LGBT affirming. It's the covenant denomination. It's a, it's a national known denomination. They were removing LGBT pastors and churches that were welcoming LGBT people. My best friend had come out, Matt Nightingale, et cetera, et cetera. And so for those three reasons, I, I, I thought, oh, it's time. It's time for me to leave this church and start something new and get to a place where I can fully be a follower of Jesus as I intend to do. So, so I thought, what could I create? Could I create something that could meet both of these needs? The need to one, learn more about inclusion and justice and diversity, as well as 
tell stories that would satisfy my soul. So Brave Maker was that for me. It's a nonprofit that existed to elevate brave stories for justice, diversity, and inclusion. And I thought it was just going to be a film festival because I love the Sundance Film Festival in Park City, Utah. I've been going for almost a decade. And it's impacted me as a filmmaker and storyteller. And I wanted to bring a little bit of that back to the Bay Area where I lived because it's so expensive to go to Park City every year. I thought, well, I'll just recreate it. We'll call it Rave Maker. And then it just snowballed. We got so many film submissions that we thought we don't just want to do one film festival. Let's do a monthly film festival. So we started doing that. And then people started asking, could we help them, you know, become filmmakers. So we created a mentor program, an internship. We were doing, uh, we're still doing fiscal sponsorship. So by the way, Pete, you talked about your short film. If there's any filmmakers out there that need help and support, we offer the ability for filmmakers to come to us uh, after an application and interview, if they're the right fit and their stories, you know, aligned with our mission, we can help them raise their funds under our nonprofit so that all of their donors can get tax write offs So we started doing things like that, do screenwriting classes. You were a part of it. And yeah. now we're doing production. We do a lot of corporate gigs and help people bring their video needs to life. So we're kind of all that mm-hmm. and more. And then we just did our first feature film. So it's sort of growing like, putting a rocket together as it's launching into space. It's a lot of, it's a lot of work and figuring it out. And I often feel like I'm not doing a great job, but we're making it happen with a ton of great volunteers and Mm -hmm. passionate people who love film and storytelling too. And you also, you also speak to like corporate groups, right? It's like, I've seen, I've seen you and Christina, Uh, Christina Jackson is another prominent member in the Brave Maker community. She is, a black and disabled member of the LGBTQ community. So she's amazing. Yeah. She's she great. and I connected at a film screening in 2019 of February and we just hit it off. She was also Miss California wheelchair 2018. So she hey, has, uh, this, yeah, she has this really cool title. And we, again, another thing we started doing during the pandemic specifically because we lost our in-person screenings is we did corporate DEI work. So diversity, equity, and inclusion webinars. So her and I would talk using films, short films, TV clips. We would talk about how companies can be a more inclusive and diverse environment, how they can change their hiring practices. And we'd use something that was as neutral and um, easily accessible as film and TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Christina is Christina is awesome. I gotta have yeah. her on this podcast too. Heck yeah! Oh, yeah. she's awesome. Please I'll, do. I'll have to reach out to her. So you talk about so the the slogan of Brave Maker is "Brave Stories Change the World" or words yeah. to that effect. Yeah. What constitutes a brave story to you? Yeah. So that word can also carry some weight and some aversion too. Some people don't like that word because you know, and I'll tell you that I have been pushed up against in some communities because they feel marginalized communities can also feel as if that word brave is put on them. Like kind of like, like um, what's the word like trauma porn or mm. uh, what's that other word? People feel like that they're patronized, you know, um, like, exploitative. Expl- yeah. They're being exploited. Like, look how brave I am because I use a wheelchair and I'm just getting up in the morning. Yeah. And I totally understand that. And that was never our intention. I looked at it more as if a brave story is a story that needs to be told because you're just afraid to tell it. Hmm. <laughs> and it's just hell of hard to tell, right? 
So yeah, I'm a white dude and I'm telling my stories. And I think part of the bravery for me is dealing with those, telling the stories about my insecurities, telling the stories about my hardships. You know, I have lost loved ones to suicide. I have, you know, been molested. I have been a survivor in so many ways. I'm a child of divorce. All of these things, these are my stories and they're still hard to tell as well as for Christina. You know, she's got stories that are just about her humanity, not necessarily about her disability, but that's a part of who she is, not necessarily just a part about her sexual orientation, but that's who she is. So we're trying to just level it out so that it's about conquering your fears. I think being brave means you're pushing through your fears. And I'm afraid to do a freaking ton of things. Yeah. One of them being start a company and ask for money and yeah. depend on generosity. All of those things in my mind are brave. So when someone conquers those fears, just that act of conquering fears can impact people. Then let alone whatever that story happens to be about, ooh, it levels it up even more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I, so I assume you've done some reading of Brene Brown in your time. Oh, heck yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah we yeah. use Brene Brown a lot in our DEI work too, because she says, I'm not here to be right. I'm here to get it right. Hmm. And that's something that we have really absorbed. It's like, well, we just want to get it right. We don't want to, we don't claim to have all the answers. We're just trying to do our best and our due diligence to get things right, to right the world. And writing the world starts with our conquering our fears and doing what we feel called to do. Yeah. And to dare greatly, as it were. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can we get yeah. a sponsorship, Brene Brown, for Rare Birds? What do you think? Brene, yeah, you that, that'd be great. I do think that one, one way that Brene Brown has just kind of captured the fascination of everybody is that she does that very thing we were talking about earlier where she does not pretend that she has all the answers and she's figuring this out too. And it's in that she's offering her perspective with all of the hedges that she does that and presents this very human perspective on vulnerability and truth telling and bravery like i feel like brene brown and by extension like the brave maker model is an attitude that is good that we yeah. should follow yeah i like that i like that a lot one thing too i want to hear you saying too about brene's work is yes she's highly intellectual and has done mm -hmm. a ton of research yet there's an air about her of humility that is super appealing that being with her you don't necessarily feel as if you're going to be judged or put in your place necessarily and yeah. i think one thing i also appreciate is that this is her perspective mm -hmm. she's done what she can to present how she sees the world and i think gosh if more people would just adopt this one little phrase this is how i see it i could be wrong yes i, I try to use that a lot when i speak like, this is how i see it I could be wrong. In fact, I might even change my mind someday. But right now, this is how I understand. Wow. This is how I understand it. Yeah. Never underestimate the power of throwing that little hedge yeah. on your perspective. Yeah. It's like I think the longer, the longer we hold on to whatever it is that we're holding on to, the tighter we double down. And the more closed off we can get, which can in turn create hell on earth, mm -hmm. you know, in your own existence, in your engagement with other people. And I think what you're trying to do with Brave Maker is trying to get people to not let go of everything they've ever thought, 
but just hold it a little looser. Yeah. Yeah. Can any, can we all say I might, you know, I could have been, I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. Yeah. How I looked at life before I was wrong. And now I see things differently. And now I see things like this and I could be wrong about that, but this is my reality right now. And I'm going to move forward. However gracefully and compassionately I can. Yeah. And you, you have been on a journey over this past, however long your life has been yeah. of learning and unlearning that. Yes, for sure. Especially when it comes, you know, to conversations about race and gender and sexual orientation. Now, I alluded to my theology training, and I remember being in Chicago in a ministry class, and it was predominantly male, and the people, uh, students in the class, and a few women. And when we got into groups, I remember feeling the tension from some of these women of, "Oh, great! Like here we go. We're in a group chat, and what is this going to be like?" And I remember thinking, "What's going on here?" and one of the women said, you have no idea what it's like to be us. You know, I was like, what do you mean? To be a woman in this class. What? And I was just, it was, I had no concept of the tension and undermining that they felt, you yeah. know, being in a class where, you know, men hog the conversations and how things tend to sway in this male way. And I go back to that all the time, even how I was counseled from good meaning pastors in my marriage that, you're the head of the home and you get to have the final say. And I'm unlearning all of this stuff. And it's just so humbling. And gosh, I, if I could go back and change it, I would, but I'm doing my best to write it now and yeah. relearn and unlearn now. Yeah. I mean, you're not here to be right. Yeah. You're here to <laughs> here get, to it, get right. it right. Brene. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> in Brene Brown, in the name of Brene Brown. Amen. <laughs> in the name of, in Brene, we pray. <laughs> <laughs> Has a nice ring to it. Is what it is, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um it is a big day when when you grow up as a white man, it's a big day when you learn that sexism isn't just the go to the kitchen, make me a sandwich jokes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sexism is a daily moment to moment thing. Yep. It's just it's in the water. Ingrained in our DNA, and don't even realize it. Don't even. And how? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I could. We could. This is a whole another conversation. But just how people treated my girls, how mm -hmm. when they when they were born, things that people said. Well, you got to get a boy. There's so many things underlying that. You know. Oh, dude, it's a mess. We're a mess. Yeah, men are dogs, and and that's that's what we really need: a full podcast episode with two white men talking about sexism. <laughs> and and I would listen to something like that if they were willing to say. This is where I got it wrong. This is what I'm learning. These, these are the books I'm reading by women or by people of color. Like we need yeah. more of that, you know? And I know you're all about hope and we'll talk about that later, but we need that hope. We need to see changes and shifts in our paradigms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So why, why, don't, why don't we transition into that question? So as we start winding down our time together, we've still got like 10 or so minutes. I just have one last like main discussion question. What is something that's giving you that hope today? Uh, my kids are giving me hope for sure. Hmm. I, I feel watching them grow up in this world in, in a way that I hope I am making space for them to ask hmm. their questions and making space for them to show me how they're living. You know, when I was, in the evangelical church world, I remember telling myself things like someday when I'm a parent or when I'm a grandparent, 
I hope I respond differently to the questions and ideas that the younger generation brings to me than I was experiencing then. Because I remember being a zealous 20-year-old, having these ideas, you know, for worship gatherings and for music and for things we can do. And I remember being told by the elders, by the older people in our church that that's just not how it's done. We don't do it that way. And God couldn't possibly, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. And I remember feeling so shut down and so that today, again, and I'm not getting it fully right. When my kids ask questions, when my kids wonder about things, when my kids even shut things down because they think that's just weird, dad. Why are we doing that? Why is the church doing this? Why are we, why aren't we doing this? That I go, tell me more. I want to learn more. My kids are seeing things and they have the ability to access God, the spirit of God, to access culture, to do good and to do right in the world, just like I do. And I want to learn from them and I'm trying to position myself with them. You know, we watch movies, we watch tons of things together. And I love when they spot things and they point things out to me and I go, you know, I wouldn't have known that if you didn't point it out to me. So I am finding hope from our younger generation yeah. who with, I think with willing people and I'll put myself on the older camp that <laughs> when we link arms, when young and old link arms together, we can do great things. We just have to be willing to learn from each other. And that's what I think is going to provide more hope in the world, more synchronicity between people who could potentially disagree and feel as if there's only one way to do it, but there's not. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the more, the more that I'm seeing from Gen Z as they're, aging into adulthood is just this, this willingness to solve the problems that the previous generations have created and failed to solve, you know, like, I mean, I consider myself a member of the millennial generation and there seems to be some, some kind of, well, this is how it's always been. This is how it is. I imagine when millennials are in there, 40s, 50s, 60s will be the boomers of uh, yeah, sure. our time. <laughs> but it does give me a lot of hope seeing seeing Gen Z live into themselves. Like, I mean, we've had actual activism done through TikTok. Mm-hmm. That's so freaking cool. Heck yeah. Well, look at all of the marches, right? And the, yeah. the activism that happened in the wake of George Floyd murder, mm-hmm. that we were awakened, the world was awakened in the, in the most way ever in history, the amount of millions of people who marched for racial yeah. justice because of that and because of young people spreading the word on social media. Pretty beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, social media is real life. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Yep. It's all what you make it, right? It's, it's real life. And we have the, we can do the same thing without social media. You can put on a face, you can curate it. You can Mm -hmm. do all those same things, just an extension of who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Anything else you want to plug today, Tony? I'm happy to connect with people on social. You know, our, our website is bravemaker.com. You can see all the things that we're doing in our screenwriting classes. If you're interested in writing a film, we can help you and consult with you. And we have a YouTube page. We're actually doing, we changed our live show to Fridays. So we're doing, sorry, to, from Fridays to Wednesdays. So every Wednesday, Christine Jackson and I talk with a filmmaker and 
basically talk about their process. We're trying to create a film school, really. Trying oh, wow. to create an yeah. educational resource to help people not have to spend thousands of dollars if they don't have mm-hmm. it to go to film school. You can learn from us. So every Wednesday, go to our YouTube page, BraveMaker.org, on all the socials, BraveMaker.org, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that kind of stuff. Find us and connect with us, and we'll happily do what we can to help bring your stories to life. Yeah, absolutely. And Tony has, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking as someone who Tony has brought a story to life for me. Yeah. Uh, the, Abandon All Hope. The first time Abandon All Hope was ever experienced publicly was on a Brave Maker live stream. I love it. So as, so as part of, as part of Tony's screenwriting seminar back mm-hmm. in the beginning of the pandemic, I was drafting Abandon All Hope and I had pitched the premise. Tony liked it. And uh, we had set up a table read. So like these things, these things do really happen. You just have to, you have to be willing to build connections and um, show up. (laughs) Yeah. And do the work. There's no excuse now. We have a digital landscape. We have, we are in a digital world that Pete can be on the East Coast and I'm on the West Coast and we're doing this together. The potential is huge for partnerships. And I was so glad that that happened, Peter, because you were our first one that we did, you know, a play. And again, I still hold out hope someday. Maybe we can do a live version of that in the Bay Area. Who knows? Let's just put it out into existence. Hey, I mean, we've got a second edition of Abandon All Hope is out at the time of this podcast release. So, you know, we've got got some new momentum. So let's let's make it happen. Let's so do it. it. It is so funny, Tony, that you and I have never met in person. It like, feels as if we have, though. I mean, I honestly cannot cannot distinguish who I've met in person, quote unquote, in like the flesh or over a Zoom. Mm-hmm. It feels the same to me. Yeah. And I mean, maybe maybe it is just that 2020 just kind of screwed with all of our brains. But right. I don't know. It's like it's so it's interesting how how close you can build these relationships over uh, through the screen yep. and on social media. Yep. It's, yeah. It's wild. And I know we still need in-person connection. I am super for that. Please hear me out, but yeah. I totally agree with you. I think there's so many great things that can happen. I've, I've been doing projects with people that I've never sat in the same room with. We've created, you know, scripts, I've done a virtual writing room for a pilot. I just, all these things can happen. And again, whatever the future looks like, I'm hoping I have, I hold out for new ideas and new entrepreneurial endeavors that are going to keep changing this world for the better. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tony, for finding time in your schedule to be with me on the podcast. Thank you all for joining us today. I'm Peter Fenton, and this has been the Rare Birds Podcast. BraveMaker is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our work is funded by generous patrons like you. Support the podcast with a tax-deductible donation at bravemaker.com. Thanks for listening to the Brave Maker podcast. Subscribe, give us a rating, and share with a friend.